Lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast, and I'm your host, Emily Vanconet. Skylight Books is an independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. We are open every day, Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday, uh, with newly updated hours coming soon. As I say this, I realize that perhaps our hours will be 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. by the time I say this, but <laughs> for curbside pickup, and uh, yeah, so we're open for curbside pickup and masked in store browsing. Shop online at skylightbooks.com. You can also check out our upcoming events on our Crowdcast page, crowdcast.io slash skylightbooks. Now, on to the show. We're joined today by Brittany Ackerman, who is uh, celebrating the release of her new book, The Britneys, due out on June 15th. Brittany Ackerman's debut essay collection, The Perpetual Motion Machine, was the winner of Red Hands Press's nonfiction award. She has a creative writing MFA from Florida Atlantic University and has attended the writing uh, and has attended the writing by writers Betho, Metho Valley workshop and the Mont Blanc workshop in Shamanix, Chimo- France. I'm so terrible at French, I apologize, as well as a residency at the Wellstone Center in the Redwoods. The Britneys is her first novel. Please welcome Brittany Ackerman. Welcome. Hello. Yeah, I didn't know how to pronounce that before I got on the airplane to go there. So no, <laughs> that. it's Shamani. Shamani. Um, I'm like, I don't know. I took Spanish. I never. <laughs> I took Latin. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Well, yeah. now I would love to hear. I know you have a little reading prepared for us. So I'll turn it over to you for an excerpt from your brand new novel. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm going to read from sort of like the beginning of the book and give absolutely no context. So here we go. There is a hiatus from phone calls with Max Green. I haven't heard from him all break, and I've been too sick to notice, too self-involved to care. But now that I'm feeling better, I wonder where he went. I call him on New Year's Eve. I'm still considered contagious and can't go out, but nothing can be caught over the phone except feelings, I suppose. His mom answers and it sounds like they're having a party. When I ask if I can speak with her son, she tells me to hold on and I wait. A few minutes later, she comes back on the line and says he's not able to talk, but he says, happy new year. It sounds like a load of crap and she wishes me well and we hang up. Your son is an asshole, I wanna say. What's he so busy doing that he can't talk to me? Wouldn't he care that I almost died of strep throat? I was so sick and he didn't even know. I imagine him drinking with his dad outside by his pool in West Palm Beach, kids from the neighborhood he doesn't usually hang out with, girls in silver sequin dresses and boys in shirts and ties, all crowded around the pool and drinking alcohol, but it's okay because they're with family, because it's New Year's Eve. I imagine his mother looking out at the scene, how she doesn't want to take her son away from such a good time. Or maybe she did tell him and he waved me away the girl from school who was popular, but not popular enough. I start to think maybe Gottlieb was actually right for once. I wonder what Jensen would say. My parents are downstairs waiting for the ball to drop on TV. 
They said not to come down, but to call for them if I need anything. My brother is at his friend's house for the night. I never really know what he's up to when he goes out, but he's a senior and can pretty much do whatever he wants. When he first got his license, my mom would wait in dad's den and sit by the window until he came home. He was never once late for curfew, but she didn't understand why he wanted to be gone in the first place. I think it's about not having to ask. You just go. You just go and do what you want because you can, because you have a car and a piece of plastic that says it's legal for you to be out there on the road. I used to worry though, what if something bad happened to him? What if he didn't come home and no one knew where he was? I still wait up for him in my room and listen for him coming up the stairs, shutting his door behind him. Sometimes I'll go in his room and play Mario Kart with him or just sit while he plays a game I don't understand. I just wanna be with him. And since he got that plastic card, he's been gone so much. It's not his fault though, he's just growing up and someday I'll have that freedom too. My mom has since stopped waiting for him by the window in the den, but I know she's relieved to hear the garage door open late at night when he comes back to us. When I check my tonsils in the mirror, they're still white and patchy. I've been confined to my room and I'm starting to go stir crazy. The house phone rings and I run to get it, but my mom's already picked up downstairs. You shouldn't be using your voice, my mom says on the line, and I'm not sure who's calling yet, so it's embarrassing. I'm fine, I whisper yell, hang up. She hangs up and I wait. Hey, 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 Jensen says, doing her best Fat Albert impression. I laugh. I can't do that right now because of my throat. What are you doing? She asks. I just looked at my tonsils in the mirror. What do they look like now? Partly cloudy. Ew. What are you doing? I'm at Thea and Christos. They're banging pots and pans. It's awful. I look at my alarm clock next to my bed and it reads 11.30 p.m. It's not midnight yet, I say. They're old, they wanna to go to bed soon, and they keep telling me to get in bed if I won't grab a saute pan to bang on. I saw them up late one time when we slept over there. It was pretty wild. They're a rowdy pair indeed. True, what are your parents doing tonight? They went to some party in the neighborhood. I didn't wanna go, so they dropped me off here. I didn't wanna put on a dumb dress and talk to fancy people. The fancy people, sounds like a good book. Yeah, you should write it. What are your parents doing? They're watching the ball drop. I don't get it. What's so great about a ball? What does it even mean? It's like the ball of time, like father time's balls dropping. I hope my mom lets me do something for my birthday. She will. You always worry and then nothing happens. Sometimes bad things happen. Yeah, but they're never really that bad. We stay on the phone until midnight, and after the magic of New Year subsides, we continue to talk about absolutely nothing for a while. I don't tell her about Max, and she doesn't tell me about how much she hates her parents. We don't talk about the other girls or the many boys who have disappointed us. We don't talk about love or sex or how bad it hurts to feel such a gaping void in our teenage hearts, one that hungers for love and sex, to be loved, to be sexed, to feel something real and not imagined, to be outside of ourselves or to truly come into who we're supposed to be. For this short time on the phone, Jensen fills the void. She's my best friend and I'm hers and we have each other, without doubt, without the slightest feeling that something bad might happen.
Do you think we'll be friends forever? I ask. I hope we don't end up like two old ladies at the supermarket who meet in the dairy aisle. Agnes, is that you? And the other is all, Deborah, I haven't seen you in ages. Right there next to the milk and the cheese. I wish I had some cheese. You shouldn't eat dairy when you're sick. I don't give a tiny rat's ass. We laugh and it hurts my throat. Anyway, it's on the up and up. That's good, I'm glad. I hear the commotion of pots and pans and her grandparents arguing. I wonder where we'll be next year for New Year's, if we'll celebrate together. I decide that maybe it's better if Max and I don't talk anymore. When he switched schools the following year, it was nice not to have to see him anymore, to wonder why I wasn't good enough, why it didn't work out. He married a thin Jewish girl he met in college and they look more like brother and sister than lovers. I wonder if he breathes in her ear at night while they sleep. I wonder if he realizes I was the one who first gave him a chance. It's a new year and I can leave him among other things behind. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. It was such a, I think such a wonderful portion of the, the book, uh, you know, following this, the, this best, best friendship that I really love the idea of the, the void of being alone without a, without a best friend as a teenager and how how important just that label of of a, a best friend can be and I really think this novel um, highlights how important that level of friendship is as a teenage girl. Um, what what made you want to make this novel and create this novel, um, especially as your debut? Yeah, so um, I I had been in grad school for my memoir and for nonfiction. And after so many essays and so much stuff about my brother growing up and my family stories, I just kind of needed something to do on the side that felt like fun for me and um, that didn't feel so, I don't wanna say painful, but like that didn't feel so painful um, to revisit. And um, I started writing these stories about, cause I, I, so I really did have five best friends in my core group growing up named Brittany, but we weren't as close as the girls are in, in the book. Um, and we definitely like went our separate ways, but I always imagined like, what if, you know, things had been different or what if I could kind of re-envision that time. Um, but when I first started writing, when I was still in grad school, I was envisioning it as just short stories. And so I just wrote the opening was the first thing I ever wrote, which is, you know, them at the, the Halloween carnival um, and going on the Ferris wheel. And that is taken from, you know, an amalgamation of memories from my teenage years. But I just, I, I felt like, okay, I want to tell these different moments, but I don't really know what it is yet. And it wasn't until I went to Chamonix, nonetheless, where um, I had a writing workshop with Alan Heathcock and um, everyone in the group really loved the stories and they gave me really positive feedback. So I was kind of thinking maybe I'll just send these out individually or I'll just, you know, make a collection or something. And Alan was the one that was like, this is a novel, you know, uh, you got to put this together in some kind of novel. And I was like, I don't know how to write a novel. Like I went to school for essay. I only know how to do small things and then like slowly put them together. I don't really know how to just write this huge you know, thing. And, um, and he was like, well, you know, just start at the beginning. And when you get to the end, stop. And, um, and that's what I did for, it was like eight or nine months, it took me to get the whole thing out in in one thing. And 
um, and stringing along the short stories that I had, you know, already written, seeing if they fit in, seeing if they didn't, they actually did all fit in. So they're all in there, which is cool. Um, but then just giving this thing a life of its own. And um, I think the thing I enjoy most to read is a novel. And I felt like, how do I really want to tell this story? And it really did feel true to me that it was going to come out in the form of a novel and just be this one narrator with these friends that kind of pop in and out. But then, like you said, with the best friend of Jensen's character really at the core of it with her um, and just kind of the the ups and downs of that relationship and you know trying to be true to my feelings at the time but not so true to the actual plot of you know how my life panned out <laughs> yeah it can be so hard to like uh not get hung up on like when you're doing kind of that auto fiction not get hung up on the like exact thing that happened and, and allow yourself to to separate from the character that you're creating and kind of this portrait um how did you find that process I, like you said, I, I was trying not to get it all right. I was trying to actually create more plot too. So um, there were things that when I would show, you know, my agent chapters of it, he would say, well, you know, we need to create more tension here or, you know, so a lot of it is obviously fabricated, but um, I also, I also felt like I, I had more freedom because I'm, I'm not just rewriting uh, or I'm not just like re, um, what's the word? I'm not just re- uh, I'm not like looking at a diary. I'm not trying to make it, you know, accurate as possible, but I'm, I'm re-envisioning it and I'm rewriting it in a way that feels true. It almost feels like more true than the experience that I actually had of living it, if that makes any sense. Um, which I feel like movies do that for me sometimes, like they can be just more real than my own reality. And so this, you know, I, it's kind of, it's like now I kind of believe that this is my past in a way. Um, but I, I just focused on the feeling of it. And I really wanted to capture all the anxiety that I had at that age that I really didn't even know what, what anxiety was at that point in time. Um, and then kind of like these lulls of depression, like she takes a lot of naps in the book, you know, and like a lot of um, like there's, there's binge eating and then there's like starvation and there's, you know, all the things that I kind of did in my teen years, but didn't have a name or a label to put to it. So I was really just trying to capture those feelings that I went through and that I know other, you know, teenage girls and, and boys go through. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, that, that um, the specific stuff around eating is definitely really interesting because I think as a teenage girl, like so many people, like, so as you said, so many people go through it, but it's so, so it's like an undercurrent and not something that we're like necessarily talking about. Um, how do you feel? I think something about like writing about teenagers that's so interesting and something you kind of touched on um, is like, yeah, having the knowledge that we have now and having the conversations and growth that we've had now as adults writing teenagers, do you find it hard to like not instill all your wisdom that, or perspective that you have now? Like, how do you create that gap and like, keep you know your idiot teenager kind of alive or like you know in the dark yeah totally I mean I think uh Anna at Vintage was really great with helping me create these um like all of the italic sections in the book which we called them like flash forwards so that's kind of like a present day narrator looking back but but still like you just said without that overarching wisdom of like well now I know it all or like you know thinking thinking um, of writing those scenes, but 
writing them as the 14 year old girl, the 15 year old girl, and then looking back at it, you know, like I'm in my thirties. So it's like looking at it from that point of view. Um, but I just wanted those italicized portion portions to just be like a leaf in the wind. Like I just wanted it to be like one little snapshot. I didn't want it to be like, and then I felt this way about it, you know, and like really, really get into it. Um, Cause I think it's more important for me that people read the book and they're like, oh my gosh, I dated a guy like that. And he was such a creep. And, and I remember, or like, oh, I had a friend, you know, like Brittany Tomasi and she had, you know, a closet full of, uh, you know, Louis Vuitton bags, you know, like I want people to, to have their memories of it and, um, and not get so caught up in, in me as the writer and my life and, you know, me as a, as a version of myself as the narrator um, and that character's life. Um, I really want it to kind of serve as a reflection. So I tried to not be too, prescriptive or to like, and this is what I've learned. Um, I wanted it to just feel like, here's a glimpse into the future because this character is older now and is able to look back. Um, but, you know, she's doing it in the, in the way of looking, looking forward and being like, don't worry, like this got better or don't worry, this person got what they deserved or, you know, those kind of moments of just that we usually don't get to see in a novel. It's usually left up to, you know, chance and imagination, but I wanted the reader to have some kind of like, you know, cause high school is so awful. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anyone that really enjoyed that time of their lives, especially middle school, high school. I mean, it's just, it's the worst. So I feel like when the reader can get some kind of like, yes, that person got sent to boarding school. You know, it's like, we get this moment as the reader of like relief and just like a catharsis of, oh, that like they got their, you know, their due diligence there. Yeah, and even in that excerpt you shared, I really liked the the that the boy ended up, you know, you see that he got married and all that. And I, I just love that. That feels very like high school reunion-esque. Like you're like, well, this is where he is now. And like now we under like his trajectory. Well, we don't really know that much about his interior life. It's like very still feels very tied to that kind of high school and our understanding of like our peers from that time. Yeah. That, just- yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say it's very true to how we experience people's futures and their and their lives now. It's like we can see an Instagram post or a, you know I don't know if anyone uses Facebook, but like a Facebook post, and we see those things, and then we invent the narrative of that. We see them with oh that's their wedding or oh they're pregnant or oh they have this job, and we just invent the whole narrative behind it. So it felt really true to do the kind of flash forwards and not really delve into like every little detail, but just you know like a thin, he married a thin Jewish girl. Like that's all I got to see. You know, I don't really know anything else about her. Totally. Yeah, I just watched um, my my sophomore year homecoming date get married like via the internet, you know? And I'm like, oh man. And like definitely so much speculation was happening about like Mm -hmm. what was going on with that wedding. And it's like, we don't know. Or like, is it really relevant? But you know, it's it's still gossipy to this day. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm so curious about the specific depiction of female friendship, especially that opening scene um, where they're at the the fair and you get all these wonderful details of, um, yeah, of all this like nostalgia, ephemera kind of like items like the plush wallets and all these very late 90s, early 2000s uh, objects. And then also, yeah, them dyeing their hair, like so classic. Um, but just like this kind of both the nostalgia and the like collectivism of being a teenage girl, um, what, 
and like how how like physical appearance plays into so much like I turning creating your own identity as a girl of course um so like what exactly were you looking to to capture about teenage friendship yeah I mean I I've had a couple of novels that I've read that really just have stayed with me um, for example, I mean, the one that I kind of was basing and kind of modeling this book after was In Zanesville by Joanne Beard. And um, that was a friendship that happened decades ago, but, um, and it's with, you know, a 14 year old narrator. And I just fell in love with that book because of the, the best friendship in it and the ups and downs of that relationship. And that it's not always like, you know, it's not always sleepovers and glittery makeup and all that. There's some really harsh words that can be exchanged and, um, and judgment. There's a lot of judgment at that age and feeling like you don't belong or how it feels like everything when you can feel like you fit in. And I just wanted to kind of tap into that and just kind of like open a door back up for us to kind of think about that because I, I truly do feel like a lot of the stuff that happened when I was younger really contributed to a lot of the anxiety and depression that I have today. Like it just kind of stayed with me in my body and, um, you know, and just thinking about all the little tips and tricks that you learn as a girl and how that, you know, bleeds into your womanhood and just the things that stay with you. And so I just kind of wanted to like, like I said, tap into it, but also to create like conversation around it. Um, like I most of my female friends deal with some kind of anxiety or some kind of depression or some kind of eating disorder. And it's like, well, where do we think this stuff comes from? It's like, you know, we were, I would like walk into the bathroom at school and people would be, you know, like, you know, vomiting up their lunch or, you know, doing drugs in the bathroom. And it's like scary and sad, but then you're like, wait, should I be doing, you know, it's like, you, you have all these questions and, um, you know, it's, it's really scary. And then you have friends that have secrets about things or that maybe you've identified what they're going through, but they don't yet know it. And it's like a really confusing time. Um, and, you know, you don't know that person, you know, grows up, they go to another school, you, they just leave. And then it's like, what happens? You know, what do you do with these feelings? What do you do with these really traumatic instances that you went through? Um, so I wanted to just have a place to put all of that and then, you know, create discussion around it for, you know, hopefully younger girls too, that they, you know, see stuff in this book. That's just like, you can't talk to people that way, or, you know, you can't, you shouldn't have to feel that way. You know, or if you do feel that way, you should have somebody to talk to, um, or someplace to bring it up. And I think that was another thing too, um, with my, the, the narrator and her mother's relationship, like my mother daughter relationship, my mom is like my best friend. <laughs> um, but it took us a while to get to that point. And, um, you know, I like, there's even parts in the book where the narrator is like, you know, I wish I would have like leaned on her more. I wish I would have told her more like, you know, wishing and wishing, but, um, you know, if your mom, you know, should be that person that you can talk to about anything and that, you know, there's no fear around it. And, you know, they brought you into this world and they should guide you through it. So, um, I wanted to touch on that as well. Today's episode of Skylit is brought to you by Rare Bird Lit. Critics have called it gripping and a must read. Unstoppable by Joshua M. Green is the unbelievable true story of Ziggy B. Wiltzig's astonishing journey from Auschwitz survivor and penniless immigrant to Wall Street legend. 
out now in hardcover from Insight Editions. Now, back to the episode. Did you did you feel like stress in writing that at all? Like I would feel stress about revisiting those dark phases. Um, you know, I actually had a lot of fun with it. I think the the traumatic moments and the more challenging moments definitely were difficult to revisit and I had to remind myself of points like you're not 14 you're you know you're you're in your 30s now like you can write this like it's okay um because I think I'll get sometimes stuck in the mindset of a character a little bit and feel like I'm back in the cafeteria like where do I sit you know um or like going to the library alone and like looking for a book that I can connect with um but I for the most part I really did have fun with it like I laughed as I was writing and um, just kind of poking fun at my younger self. Like, I feel like the the narrator is, it, it's based on me, but she's so much cooler than I was growing up. And she's so much more outspoken and just like fierce and bold. And um, she's still afraid, but she's not as afraid as I was. So it was fun to give myself that, you know, re-envisioning and, and that narrator, that quality um, to just kind of be out there and um, you know, be weird and be different and quirky. And, um, you know, she's a, she's a book lover and she's book smart and, you know, does well in school. And I was always really embarrassed about that. And, and now I feel like it's totally different for kids. It's like, you know, everyone is super positive with each other and, but there's still the anxiety of the internet, you know, like you said, I mean, when, when I was growing up, it was mainly just aim. And then eventually we had MySpace, but, it was a place that you had to go to. Like, it wasn't just something that you were engulfed in all the time. And, um, you know, I do think that the next generation has succeeded in, in being more positive online, whether it's like body positivity or just being supportive of each other and support, you know, supporting each other in all ways, like sharing things of others and, and all of that. Um, but it's still taking place in that online platform where you're creating, you know, an avatar and a personality of yourself. So it's a, it's a, it's a weird time. We're not really going to know the effects of it for, you know, a while, but, um, I love that movie eighth grade that Bo Burnham did because I had no idea how deeply it's infiltrated, you know, our, our middle schoolers now (laughs) to see everything that she goes through is, is really crazy, but. Um, that movie was definitely an inspiration for the book too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was just talking about that, that movie with my, my coworkers yesterday, but you know, it is such a, a, yeah, that movie is so great because it also, the casting I think is just so particularly great and unique to actually see actors who look how they're supposed to look um as as young people um and so I think that's I mean it's hard with with Instagram and all these things for for middle schoolers or high schoolers still even because it's people just look so like mature now when you're still a child and it's it's tough when you're supposed to grow up really quickly because of the internet yeah absolutely yeah um so what were some of your favorite books when you were a teen oh my gosh so speaking of going to the library alone trying to like look for a book to connect to um the first book that I ever read that I was like really inspired to write some stuff of my own was this very silly book it was called 
Um, the title's very weird. It's called Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging. I okay. mean, of course, yeah. duh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I read that book on like a spring break one year. I like checked it out of the library and brought it on vacation. And I was just like, and I was a little younger than the narrator of the book, but I was just like, oh my gosh, like I want to kiss a boy. Like I want to wear a thong. Like I want to shave my legs and, you know, like all this stuff. I was just like dreaming of my womanhood and like what that would look like. Um, so that book has stuck with me, you know, forever. Um, and, uh, yeah. I'll but- never forget her dying her fringe. And that's when I like learned what a fringe was and like, it was huge. That book was so great. And I loved all of them. And yeah, just like the characters in that book were like, it was like you had the different kinds of boys you could be into and the boys you were like proud to talk to your friends about and the boys that you were like, I could never say it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's amazing. And I remember like holding on to that book and feeling like it was kind of a secret or something. Like I felt like it was so close to me. Like it, it almost felt like she was talking about me, even though, like I said, I wasn't that age yet and I was younger. Um, so I was, I was always drawn to stories like that. I, I brought this up yesterday um, for, I think, in my, my teaching that I do. And I was talking about when I experienced watching Harriet the Spy also. I know that's not a book, but, um, or maybe there is a book version. I think there of is, but mainly but, the movie. But I remember seeing the movie in the theater and just being like, oh my gosh, like, I want to do this. Like, I want to observe everything and write. And even though it kind of like bites her in the ass in the end and she has to, you know, switch over to what is productive journalism versus what is just like mean-spirited writing. Um, but I just, so I had a journal, like I had this, it was like a big purple fluffy fuzzy journal that I had like a little lock that you like, I had a key that I like put on a bracelet. It was so stupid, but I was obsessed with just going places and being like that woman's a bitch, you know, and just like writing it in my diary. Like, I don't know. I just like felt cool doing it. Um, but eventually my writing turned into more like scenes with people and like actually starting to make sense and not just these observations. Um, but those things were definitely uh, pretty formative in my, my youth. Um, and then to be honest, I mean, I wasn't really, I wasn't really a big reader. Like I read all the books that we had to read for school, but like I said, like my group of friends, um, I remember this isn't in the book, maybe it'll be in, an, in another book or I'll write a story about it, but um, our school used to have these award ceremonies and they would do like the English award and the you know math award and whatever. And there was one year, it was when I was in sixth grade that I won like every award for my grade. And like the first one you're like, cool, you know? And then after a while, like I remember my friends around me like that were sitting with me in the bleachers they were just like, what a loser and just making fun of me. And it was so horrifying. And I had to just kind of pretend like, oh yeah, this is like, I don't even know why I'm getting that. You know, like I had to just pretend I was like on the outs with them um, when really, like I should have been really proud of that. Like I, you know, I studied really hard and I earned those grades. So I had to hide a lot of my personality Um and my love of reading and my love of books. And, um, you know, cause everyone just thought that that was weird. But um, I remember, uh, I remember in particular when my class had to read uh, The Scarlet Letter and not even like a huge fan of that book necessarily, but I remember um, this was in 11th grade and my teacher, my English teacher, he 
put on music in the room. Like he had like a record player and like, you know, this is like before Spotify. <laughs> um, and he just like put on music <clears throat> and he would just have us do free writes like based on um, stuff in the book. And he'd be like, let's read this passage. And then you're gonna like write your feelings about it. And it was such a beautiful experience that I was just like, I love writing. Like you can just listen to music and write your feelings. Like this is amazing. Um, oh, and then I will say in uh, senior year, 12th grade, we had to read Beowulf and I remember everybody hated it, but I, or no, not Beowulf. Well, eventually we read Beowulf, but um, we read Grendel and I loved that book so much. I was like awkward monster character that like has a problematic relationship with his mom and like is just having a tough time growing up. Like I just, I loved that book. I think that was the first um, that was the first like assigned reading that I really connected to. And I was like, wow, I can't believe like this is, you know, on there with like the great Gatsby or whatever. <laughs> like it just felt so years different than, um, you know, light years different than those other books. Like, like I said, the great Gatsby or like, you know, um, Catcher in the Rye. Like I never really connected to those books. Um, I mean, probably just like a lot of male characters, but but even with Grendel being, you know, I don't know how Grendel identifies, but um, but I just felt like so connected to that that entity of that character um, and the outsiderness of this, especially at that time. So those are just some things that were very inspirational. No, I I, I love all of those. Those are such fantastic reference points, and it's true. It's like we're really not given. Um, things outside of the catcher in the rye or the great gatsby to to connect to and there's not really good reasons why why young femme people should identify with those things or why a lot like you know it there should just be more diversity in reading as we all know expand the canon but um <laughs> but yeah those are so great um what's what's coming up next for you what do you what's on the horizon uh, yeah, so I'm actually working right now on a kind of sequel to the Britney's, um, but it's kind of the college years. So as much as I was totally fascinated with teenage years, I am really returning to a lot of memories about when I was in college. Um, I feel like there's not enough books written about, you know, young women in college. And I was in a Jewish sorority in college and I went in the Midwest and um, I had uh, four best friends, um, you know, well, three best friends and me, I made the fourth and we had our own little group kind of thing. Um, so I, I'm, I'm working on that right now. I'm working on telling the stories from that time. And it's definitely the same narrator, but it's, it kind of almost feels like a different world because it's, you know, years later and this character has now grown up and is facing a completely new set of, you know, she's already lost her virginity and she's already, drank for the first time and, you know, done all these other things. Um, but now she's facing some more kind of serious things um, with her parents getting older. And, um, you know, the anxiety stuff is really getting to a point where, you know, she maybe needs to like see someone and get that in check um, as the world just kind of continues. So that's my main focus. Um, and then, you know, back to my grad school roots, I'm still working on some essays for uh, maybe another collection about my family, um, really focusing this time though. So the first one was really about my brother and about me, but really focusing on my mom and my dad in this one. 
Um, I've been, you know, interviewing them and getting some memories from them and photographs and all that fun stuff and just revisiting things and kind of paralleling some of the experiences that they've, they had with some of the ones that I've had. Um, I'm going to be going to Siwani this summer for the conference. So I'm going to work on some essays there and we'll see. But like I said, the, the fiction stuff has always just been, it's been mostly fun for me. It's, it's something that I sit down to write it and I actually enjoy what I'm writing. Like, it doesn't feel like the work of crafting an essay and, you know, all of, all of that. Um, it feels, it feels more, more freeing and more like I can really re-envision these past moments that I've experienced. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I love, I really love that idea of the, the college years. I think that's so important. I absolutely agree that it's, I don't understand why the coming of age is limited to being 18. It's, you know, it's a long stretch into 22, 24, you know, like, those years are so integral um, and not written about enough. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, it, it's so exciting to hear that you're doing essay work as well. Um, I love a good family history kind of moment. So it's great to hear. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, the Britney's is coming out on June 15th. So uh, hopefully we'll be out by the time this podcast airs. And thank you so much, Brittany, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to all the listeners out there. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.